Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brennan Carrion. This is episode 78, and today I am joined by the one, the only, Richie motherfucking Buzzkill, what up? I, I'm alive. It's <laughs> yeah, this guy, this guy, he's also married. Yep. Richie Buzzkill got married. What up, buddy? Congratulations. Com- thank you very much. Uh, com- uh, went through a 10-year quest. Uh, uh, with wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Questing no. it, huh? Yeah, nerd, quest. nerd, nerd trope. It wasn't really a quest. It was more of a... I, 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 the hero's journey where I kept denying the quest and, and kept coming back to the quest. Oh man, there's so many marriage jokes in here and I could just totally be like hitting you with all like this. Yeah, yeah. The tired, stale, like, <laughs> oh, you'll just, you'll just know forever. You're exactly what you're going to be doing, buddy. Yeah, yeah. But we won't do that. We won't do that because yeah. you know what I hate is tired, stale shit. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we'll we'll just move it right along to some uh, delicious other stuff. Uh, Adam's not with us today. Yeah, he's he's got life happening right at the moment. Man, I, or it, are Adam and I the same person, like Tyler Durden style? And we've just been doing ventriloquism for years, and, and just decided that like hmm. now that I'm here, we only need one of your voices per are, episode are you here or is this just am like, i a new whole character <laughs> am i like in an empty room like talking to myself like little hand puppets hey full metal rpg guys it's important <laughs> <laughs> Re- reading about pancreases and uh, happy pancreases it's probably the latter <laughs> i have to say there's no one no one's listening all right so uh role-playing games that's yeah, what yeah. we talk about that's what we love uh, it's been a little. It's been strange, right? Seasons are changing. Full Metal RPG is changing. What? What are we? What are we doing? What are we playing? What are we buying? This is fucking. Let's do this shit, man. Uh, well, I mean, I've been getting some Kickstarters in. Yes, it is the season of the Kickstarters, is it not? Yeah, I think they're trying to. I mean, maybe they're trying to be smart and get stuff into the stores by Q4 or whatever, like the good capitalists do. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I got uh, tiny supers from Alan Barr. And uh, was that a Kickstarter? It was indeed a Kickstarter. Shit, man, that's how out of Kickstarter I am. I didn't even know that was going on. Yeah, that when, was. When was it? It was. Um, it was early this spring. I think. Oh my god! But but like this, uh, I mean he he uh, he put a. This lot is the of thickest effort. one. This it, is the it, biggest well, one yet. It, he's got a whole gallant verse, is what they call. Oh, it. I remember this. Yeah, uh, it has a it has a uh, IP. Yeah, he he's he's uh, commissioned this uh, really pretty great uh, comic art. And uh, and really has like a whole like universe in there. So and it's un- full color too. Usually these are black and white. Am I right? Yeah, all, all full color. It's got great. Uh, I, I don't know if it's great, but you don't have to make up your own universe or steal yeah. uh, or just try to run modules for other things. It's like, and and the, it seems like they're not just like making uh, just parody characters like a lot of these superheroes. Uh, games do right so like right some, some of these characters are you know like a character called terminal who's just running really fast like terminal velocity but it looks pretty cool so i don't know it, huh. it's uh um it uh it seems like it's gonna be a lot of fun and and it's the tiny d6 system so it's gonna be dead simple to play and yeah that's always solid those are those are good buys those are really good buys and, and the uh i got I got the little deluxe package. I got the dice that have like uh, Bam and Pow is the uh, five and six, and no on all the other sides. No, Except it says no. It's like no, you don't get a success. That's what it no. means. No. Oh no! Like 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 oh, I'm I'm failing. I'm falling into Smilex gas or some shit. Right, and and. Uh, Except there's like one instance I read within the first ten pages where this doesn't work. Oh, uh, look at this guy! He's calling. You're calling out Alan. Like well, you know, Al- like Alan first can, ten pages even like slip that little detail in there. That's cute. Yeah. Well, a- Alan can get at me on Facebook. So there we go. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like it's it's well written as as these things tend to be, and uh, I'm looking forward to tr- 
like perusing through the Galantverse and seeing what kind of crazy stuff they came up with for this cool comic books. Yeah, that's exciting. I remember when uh, I was a younger man and the concept of a uh, RPG role playing game really bothered me because some you know this is or, I mean a, a supers role playing game. Oh my god, yeah, a supers role playing game for fuck's sake, dude. Anyway. <laughs> God, you have two sips of your Michelob Ultra, and all of a sudden... <laughs> your giant 25-ounce Michelob Ultra. Giant 25-ounce Michelob Ultra. For, this is what men drink. Oh, Calorie-conscious men. I'm waiting for you to finish and crush it on your head. Yeah, well... <laughs> I think it's going to crush me on its head. Anyway, um, yeah, comic book role-playing games used to bother the shit out of me. And uh, I always felt like there was something kind of weirdly inauthentic about them. This is... At the same time, I was like a vampire cannon hound, so like authenticness in role-playing games was like this super important thing to me, and when I would see like Hero System or Mutants and Masterminds, I was always like, oh, fuck that, that's not real, that's not real uh, superhero (laughs) role-playing. And then you'd see the Marvel games and the DC games, and something struck me as kind of inauthentic about that, because then you're like... You're creating your character to make them interact with those characters. And I was like, yeah, you're not a real superhero. And now I just totally degaff the whole thing. I'm just like, dude, there is no way I would play a Marvel superhero game. I just want to play a generic superhero game, you know? Right, because the can you get to make your own canon. You get yeah. to be your own character. Like, Masks is super cool that way. And, uh, you know... Tiny supers, you don't have to use their the their thing, and it's too easy to make your own thing. Because masks has that has like Halcyon City, yeah. So you can like import in you know named characters and stuff, right? There's something that just seems much more like interesting. I, maybe it's just kind of the way that it's the comic, framing. I, I, I think comic books have been democratized in a way that role playing has been democratized, where right. it's like. You, you because of independent comics and stuff, it, it you're just like I don't really give a fuck what is up with Spider Man. There's right. like nine million issues of Spider Man. No one cares. Like I I want I I want to explore a character that is interesting to me and that has something new to do at last. You know? Yeah. I mean, it now that you can get a comic book that kind of has somewhat the same ex, uh, experiences as anybody as a particular people right you can they're tailored down the with the web comic and the indie comics and all yeah. this other stuff like you can get to wh- whatever whatever your favorite thing about superhero you can exactly have that yeah exactly and that's uh that's what i think superhero role-playing games have become mm-hmm. like i'm still a fan of the old fast rip uh marvel game the 1980s one mm-hmm. because it probably felt like the it was sort of crunchy but at the time when i was playing in the 90s like it was. It ha- had this weird randomness, so we could like Traveler. You made random characters, so you had these really crazy, weird, and you never interacted with any of the actual Marvel stuff. It was like playing an indie comic. Uh, weird. Yeah, you could you you could have as many characters as you want, but uh, from the actual Marvel super, they had like binders you could buy that were like two inches thick with all the cards and shit. <laughs> it's crazy talk. So you could have Dazzler in yeah, your okay. game. Well, clearly the most important X-Men. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, when's the Spawn role-playing game coming out, man? When are they going to... When is McFarlane finally going to smell that money and just go after it? Mm. He's going to be like, let's get the Spawn role-playing game with the Spawn-verse in it. If there, if there isn't one out there already that I missed... I'm going to guess when the new HBO TV show comes oh, out. Yeah. If I had to guess that some point after that, there will be a role-playing game based upon it. I think they just hit issue 300. So even with those kind of like early years of Spawn problems, where it's like they don't own all their own characters, like Neil Gaiman owned a character, and he spun it off into DC, and then like Rob Liefeld owned a bunch of characters, and I don't know if those guys get along well anymore. But... um. At this point, they've got just like I mean, hundreds of issues. I I literally haven't read a Spawn comic in like twenty five years or something. They right. mu- they must have plenty of shit that they can draw. Oh, from. absolutely! And didn't they have stats? Like every time he used powers, like didn't his stat? Dude, dumb? that was so dumb. It was <laughs> because I guess I guess and now we're going to talk about comic books, guys. Yeah, I guess that Spawn was supposed to be like a really limited run. Comic, oh right, right, and that he was supposed to run out at the end, right? right. It, was supposed to be like just a, it was supposed to just be like this really finite number of issues, and then he was going to run out, and it was going to be over. 
Uh, and then they were like, oh. <laughs> Our biggest selling book is about to end. Yeah, Shit. exactly. All right. exactly. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll make a storyline out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically. And because if you look at the, like, the first six issues or whatever, like whenever Al Simmons does anything, like he just loses a ton of power and he's yeah. like he's like gonna run out real fast and now like they did all kinds of dumb stuff like I, I I have a friend who owns a comic book store here in Phoenix it's, it's a it's a very popular one in the world of independent comics it's very very well known I should say anyway he um he keeps me abreast of what's going on I guess like Al Simmons like quit being spawned for a while and then there was another dude who was spawned for like a, for like dozens of issues and then like Al Simmons like came back like 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 al simmons like took over hell or something like he was malbogia for a while uh, it's like oh my god wow yeah exactly so now, <laughs> so now so now spawn has all the same dumb problems that every other dumb comic book has well, yeah it's any any character that runs for that serialized character is going to get in these silly situations like yeah yeah when's when's the phalanx Gonna, when's the legacy virus going to take out Spawn? Uh. Anyway, <laughs> I don't actually care about any don't of that. Don't add us. Burp, 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 burp. All right, so, hey, I see you got another book over there, and this one looks hot. Yes. Ho, ho, ho. What did you get? Codex Volume 1 from oh, the, from the Gauntlet uh uh, world of World of the Gauntlet. And, Dude, and it's, it's so big. It is, it is massive. The paper is... Oh, so nice, dude! It the, looks the, gorgeous. The, the the they paid out attention to layout for so long for the from the very beginning of this scene that every it, like if you look at the front of this and then you look at the back of this, like it's what is this twelve whatever how many ever volume issues and the the while it does improve, it's still like dude really quite amazing and I'm, wow i and one of the reasons i bought this other than the fact to have it in a, in a hardback is because there were some cyberpunk uh mods in here that you couldn't get the i think you could buy the issues eventually on drive through but i was like well right clearly i need these anyways so. so 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 there's a great podcast called the gauntlet a great family of podcasts called the gauntlet and um they're they're very concerned with like indie RPGs and PBTA kind of especially, but uh, there's a whole there's a whole network of their kind of related podcasts, and uh, Jason Cordova was sort of like the uh, the godfather of this whole thing, pulling strings and putting it all together, and they started doing this little zine called Codex. If you remember their Patreon, you could get like PDFs of the zines, right? So then they did a Kickstarter where they were like, oh, we're gonna put it all into the hardbound, and I was I I remember looking at it. And I was like shocked at the price. I was like, "You fucking high man! You're just gonna like reprint shit you already have done, like in a hardcover form, and you want me to pay that for it?" But I had no idea it was gonna be such a gigantic, like lush volume. Yeah, and it's got it. it even they even got the little ribbon. Yeah, yeah, those ribbons are cute. I'm but not gonna I, lie, I do like the ribbons, but it, that's it, not. I the never thing. use them, but like it's it's. It, it's just one of those things where it's it marks a book that somebody has uh, spent a little more money on. What I was guess. what was I using? I I was using a ribbon on one of my books. I think it was like some kind of Warhammer book or some shit mm. that has some ribbons in it, and I was using them. I mean, they're okay. They're you know they have some practical application, but that let me do. So is that like available now, or is that was that just Kickstarter only? Um, I don't know. I didn't. I, I, I got mine, so... Oh, <laughs> look at that, so man. I stopped, so I stopped paying yeah. attention. R- Richie Buzzkill got his... Hey, Will, hey, sorry to bother you there, uh, Mr. Buzzkill. <laughs> I'll just uh, let's take my complaints over here. Um, I, I think... I know that it's on drive through I think you can get the whole volume on drive through so maybe they Oh, but a- there's no way it's that nice. No. drive through their stuff does not look that good. <sighs> yeah. I, uh, I've had lots of conversation about that lately. Yes, so. <laughs> indeed. Um, wow. Well, um, yeah. So I, I also, while we're on the subject, I recommend the Gauntlet series of podcasts. Oh, they're, for sure. They're really yeah, great. Yeah. And then um, because we are talking about Codex, Gauntlet Con is coming up at the end of October. Magpie Games is a spotlighted creator there, nice, so nice. if you want like to play uh, Zombie World with Mark Diaz Truman, you can at Gauntlet Con, which is entirely online. And guess what else is gonna be at Gauntlet Con? Richie Buzzkill. 
Uh, is it Ravenous? Ravenous will be there, buddy. Oh. Yeah, there's going to be two <laughs> sessions of Ravenous available. Uh, Mark was very kind to let me be part of the Magpie banner, which I definitely don't deserve, but is still pretty fucking cool to be like, oh yeah, hey, I'm part of this like fucking spotlight on like this great publishing company that like I barely contribute anything to, but you know, hey, you know, I'll, I'll take it, I guess, you know, I get to be on the tour bus. It's fun. Well, I think that's that's fantastic. Like I've always hear, like I listen to it. I never participate in any of the Gauntlet stuff, but like I, oh. I, I want, I want to. It's just one of those like, okay, now I, I never wanted to back at a high enough level to like try and really pick a game. So. Oh yeah, like uh, I, uh, they have a they have a Patreon membership where you can get in on their games because they run a lot of online games, and uh, it was very difficult to get one of those. Uh, $8 a month Patreon memberships. But then Jason Cordova left. Like, he is not doing the podcasts right, anymore yep, yep. or managing the, the web the web angle. He's only going to be involved in the publishing angle so that these right. beautiful books keep coming out. Uh, and then I think a bunch of people fled the gauntlet. So I mm. was able to get on there and get an $8 Patreon membership. And so I, you know, I haven't availed myself of it yet. I've been paying for it for months and I haven't right. played anything. Um, but you, that is an option, and that's that's how I uh, got to experience Crossroads Carnival like years ago okay, as, as, a, as a Patreon member. Their their stuff always sounds fantastic and interesting in some yeah. way or another. So I'm, I'm I mean, excited. It's yeah. a cool community because it's kind of like uh, it's like gamers gamers. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, it's like the people who are there are like very thoughtful and insightful into like what it is that they're doing. So I mean, I highly recommend it. If if if, if my recommendation means anything to you as a listener, then of course. I recommend the Gauntlet and its series of podcasts. I also recommend Gauntlet Con, where I will be running two sessions of Ravenous. That's four seats per session times two, so eight lucky listeners go over there and register. Get on it, and Get that's on it, that, and that's not part of the whole Patreon levels like thing. I think they might have something, but there's so yeah. many other there's so many games that are running during Gauntlet Con. That it's I don't true. Think the thing is, is if, is the, there the Patreon lets you if you're a member of their Patreon, then you can get early access to the signups and um because i'm because i'm me and no one no one will give a shit about right. ravenous they i mean they, there will be there will be ravenous i definitely get a lot i mean i get questions about ravenous when i show it to people so like it, who do you show it to i've showed it to some of my role-playing friends back east like oh, they were like cool. what what what's this what's this and i'm like yeah it's a horror vampire horror role, role-playing game and i'll I'll uh, I'll next time a new beta comes out I'll let you let you look at it. Oh, how on. great! Yeah, so. man. Yeah. Well, I would lo- you know have have them get at me, ringy dingy. I'll uh, whatever it is they need, I can get to them. If they especially if they want to run it, if they want to run it, then if they're PBTA fans. <laughs> well, he's he's a he's a vampire the masquerade modder. Like he, ah, like yes. he's not a big he's not a big canon freak, but he's like he loves that vampire the masquerade second edition and has been playing it for like the last 20 years oh so. well then i would love i would love for your friend to uh engage with yeah, the ravenous no. community because it's uh we're, what we're doing is a little bit different you right know? oh I, yeah yeah it's designed to, you know ravenous is designed to kind of scratch that itch in a certain way it's because it's a different take it's right. a different take but uh we'll get to that in a minute because we're gonna do a ravenous design diary and i don't want to fucking just right go on all day so is that all the stuff that you got yeah that that's those were the kickstarters that came in i'm still waiting on a a, a very large package from uh pinnacle entertainment so Ooh, <laughs> ooh, sounds good. Sounds good. All right, so here, you know, I, you know, I actually got some role playing games this time. It's been a hot minute since I've been on the show. Oh so. yeah, yeah. So I got some stuff in the mail. Um, the first thing I got was a copy of uh, Pelgrane Press's uh, Fear itself, which is um, a gumshoe game. And this is the second edition, which was kind of like re-sort of framed from the uh, D, Robin D. Laws version by uh, Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. And if you're a fan of this show, if you listen to this show, then you know what a big Gareth Ryder Hanrahan fan I am. In my opinion, he is the horror writer to be following right now. I'm a big, big, big fan of his work. I'm a big fan of what Pelgrane is up to. Um... So I was very excited to get this. I'm kind of working my way through it right now. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting. It's a little bit of a different take than I thought it was. I kind of thought it was just going to be a generic horror role-playing game that uses gumshoe. Right. But what it kind of is, is it's like an add-on to Esoterrorists. 
Okay. Like, yeah. like they early on in it, they're like, well, you can use it as a generic role-playing game, or you can use it as an esoterrorists game with this caveat, right? So esoterrorists has like a meta plot, and it's about two organizations battling each other, the Ordo Veritas and then uh, the esoterrorists, right? And they're kind of trying to battle each other for control reality. And so the conceit of fear itself is that you're playing an ordinary person in that world. Um, so you can use it to either add like ordinary person characters into esoterrorists, or you could just strip out all the esoterrorist stuff and be like, well, here it is. It's just a horror game uh, with some regular people in it. Um, I dig it because I dig Gumshoe and because I dig Pelgrane and because I dig Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. I'm having a good time. It's, um, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's not what you'd call like a lavish book or uh, it doesn't have like a lot of bells and whistles. It's just kind of very straightforward. It just tells you what it is and then it starts doing it. So, Well, that that's really cool because a lot of times these, these books have we've kind of maybe gotten into a little bit of book bloat <laughs> in, in the role-playing uh, game genre. Like mm, interesting. Cause I, I get like, you know, some of these games are fantastic. They're little tiny volumes, but then you get a book that's a normal sized role-playing book and it's like 400 pages. I'm like, Oh, I agree a hundred percent page count, page count bloat. I'm to- I totally, that's what, yes. that's what I meant. It's yeah. like, guys, I don't need everything in the prime book. Yeah. Just give me, and this looks like a nice uh, volume. I, it yeah. looks like the size of a Palladium mm-hmm. <laughs> book. Yes. Yeah, it's, yes. it's about that same size. And uh, it looks like something I would be able to pick up off the shelf and like read through the rules and actually get to some content relatively quickly. Yeah, 100% that. It's about 176 pages and it's soft cover. And just, and if you are old like us and you remember the glory days of role playing when they weren't trying to sell you like a huge meta plot and a ton of fucking backstory and then like a billion systems all in one book, like then this is a very kind of classic book where you just, I mean, it, it has a very kind of utilitarian feel where you just like pick it up, go. I, and I agree, man. I am really over this whole thing. It, it seemed so novel like 10 oh, yeah, years yeah, ago yeah. when it was like, oh, well everything in one book and now i'm just like dude you know the way that we became like lore masters of games like vampire the masquerade and Shadowrun was by eating the elephant one bite at a time for sure and we didn't just like sit there and try and stuff the whole thing in our mouth right away you know and that's what these books like you know you get the, you look at the onyx path 20th anniversary editions oh my god <laughs> they're like 700 pages long you like throw it and kill somebody like yeah and then they're, in, they're they have insane prices where it's like 250 dollars for a core book i mean anyway and you I, wonder why you never see those in stores but like <laughs> right i mean i mean who like you like there's a whole conversation to be had here but you have to know what's in that book already in, yeah, order yeah. To, in order to be convinced to buy it because no one's just going to have like $250 kind of like rolling around in their pocket and they're kind of like, you know, hey, I feel like buying a new game today. I'll just buy Mage 20th anniversary. It's, you know, it's as big as a phone book and hardcover. I mean, like, come on, you know, I mean, that's, it's unrealistic. Anyway, so yeah, good insight, fear itself, got that. Then, um, so it's interesting. My buddy William is running down at the uh, Game Depot uh, Friday Night Club. He was running Blood Wraith, right? And right. Uh, I kept waiting for my Blood Wraith to show up, and I was like, "Ah, it's not." And I think I figured I was like down on the rolls or whatever. And then finally, I uh, I just went on Kickstarter and I started looking in the comments. Those things are actually useful. BGW. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I always kind of thought it was just like a lame stab at social media, and I was, I was like, "Whoever reads these things." But then I went on there and I was like, oh, it turns out that the Bloodwraith uh, hardcover is like shipped like a billion years ago, right? Oh, geez, yeah. So um, all of a sudden I get this package and it's this, it's a Jim Pinto game and who wrote Bloodwraith. And it's from Drive Through, but it's called The Carcass Exodus. And it turns out that the Carcass Exodus is a second edition of Jim Pinto's uh, like survival post-apocalypse game okay. called okay. The Carcass. Okay, and this is a gr- this is a very beautiful book. I mean, I I love the fact that there's no title on the front cover. Like it's just the titles on the spine and on the back, but the front cover is just like 
this gnarly ass dude like all in leathers carrying a, a tomahawk style hatchet and like he's just like ready for battle like, yeah it's cool as fuck like, right and you yeah. open it up the the interior art and graphic Ooh. design is very nice and it's very compelling but it's not blood wraith so i was like so i wrote jim and i was like hey man uh i is this uh should i contact you about this or drive through because i just didn't know like who's responsible for this and um he really stepped up and he's like yo drive through is actually responsible for that but i'm gonna take care of you and then he sent me uh my hardcover blood wraith so i did finally get my hardcover blood wraith and it is awesome it is so cool. Now I don't want to dog the carcass game. That's cool. that that game looks neat too. I was reading a little bit of it while I was waiting for my blood rate to show up, and um, his kind of take on it is to do a post-apocalypse game that's like a little bit different. I mean, that's kind of his stated goal, where he doesn't just want it to be about like hyper violence and like being strapped to a car, dr- being driven at ninety miles an hour off a cliff and shit like that. He wants it to be about like problem solving in the post-apocalypse like you know the well is tainted and you gotta like find supplies and shit he wants that to be the central driving factor rather than just you know mad max hyper violence so that's cool um i mean i don't know if that idea is quite as novel now as it was when this was printed this is this is a few years old now yeah i think there's a couple i mean there's like mutineer zero and there's there's a few other survival games out there so but i mean that's that's kind of like we're going deep on genres like everybody yeah. you know everybody's got their take on the genre and we're going deep on those so eventually it'll collapse back on in itself and it'll be novel again so yeah. never be afraid to publish something even if you think it's oh for sure i'm all about like lots of voices being out there uh, and jim is a very talented designer like very talented and it's kind of um he's kind of an interesting character we tried to have him on the show once uh and he has a tough time with computers. We weren't able to get him. We weren't able to get him in a situation where he could, he could record. Um, and I just, I just really feel like he is such a character that people don't know about him. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like Robert Schwab is interesting as a as a as a designer. He's a, he's a he's a character too. But he's good about marketing the character that he is. And so he has this this little empire of kind of postmodern demon books and shit. I feel like Jim Pinto is similar, but he's like a little more underground. Like like uh, he's more kind of like strange, and so and so he's a little a little harder to ex- get access to. But Bloodwraith got that. Super excited for Bloodwraith. Uh, William has been writing the shit out of Bloodwraith, and it's like, I mean, this is just a fucking rad book. The art's rad. The idea's rad. It's broken up into three little books that, like, so you can kind of pick and choose what it is you're using for it. It's got a cool OSR vibe, but it also just it just feels really grim and gritty. So, I mean, this is just very exciting. Well, I think, and, and I think he realized the same thing we were just talking about, which if that was one hardback book that thing would be a beast yeah right but yeah like i much rather pick a book that's relatively easy off the shelf and yeah and like sit down with that so exactly i mean uh, a role-playing game i used to read role-playing games in a weekend you know I yeah. remember when i was in high school because i was a fucking real popular guy obviously everybody else was going to solo cup parties and i'd be like oh cool it's friday night i get to read my new my new vampire book and then i just read it i'd read it by sunday you know what i'm saying i think you got the better deal of that but well yeah i mean hey look look what's done for me it's done right. for me so well yeah i surround myself with fineries right anyway um who <laughs> boy so Blood Wraith, I did get it, yeah, and yeah. now I can play Blood Wraith, which I'm very excited about. That's awesome. So uh, the last thing I got was essentially what was I don't know this month's hottest role playing game, the role playing game that no one saw coming. We didn't know we needed it till we till it was out. Uh, Chuck Tingle's The Tingleverse, the uh, official Chuck Tingle role playing game. Which oh my god, uh, from the author of such such genre classics as. Uh, Space Raptor butt invasion and uh, <laughs> pounded in the butt by the shark that I am jumping as I am jumping it comes the Tingleverse. Uh, it's the role playing game that 
where you and your buds uh, get to prove that love is love is real, and uh, it takes place in Billings, Montana, and then you have like trans-dimensional intertime adventures as one of uh, four playable types. You have uh, humans, you have dinosaurs, raptors being the most common. Clearly, clearly, yeah. Big feet. Nice. And uh, and unicorns. And then there's <laughs> there's a number of different classes you can take. And then there's these things that he calls moves. I'm not certain that he is aware of PBTA moves, but they're basically kind of like feats. Right. Um, you can use to make your character more unique. Um, but what's interesting, and I was telling Richard this before we started the show, is that uh, I purchased it thinking it was going to be a joke. I thought it was going to be like this hilarious haha joke, and it was going to be very similar to like uh, the experience of reading um, Human Occupied Landfill or something like that from the 90s, which was... Basically, just you were reading it for the yucks. Like, the yeah, rule yeah. book itself was written as a series of jokes. Uh, much to my surprise, the rule book is written in complete earnest. It is a completely earnest game. It doesn't seem like there's jokes in here. It just tells you how to play the game. And then you can actually sit and play the game as a group of buds who are trying to prove that love is real. And it's kind of fucking cool. It's like the kind of like the coolest fucking thing that i didn't know i needed it's like well the cover alone the cover alone is worth having on the shelf oh just sure just when somebody pulls that off the shelf and goes oh what's going on here because it's fantastic (laughs) i mean on some level it the existence of it as a game kind of throws into relief sort of like um this thing about the nature of role-playing and how kind of weirdly sexless role-playing has been for many years. Oh, yeah. Um, And then when sex is put into a game, when people kind of inject that into a game, it has this kind of salacious quality to it, right? Well, like Apocalypse World, like having the sex, the sex, sex moves move. in Apocalypse World. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's always controversial in every game it's in. Yeah. And that's really quite uh, quite interesting because that's life, man. That's part of life. And, yeah. and But it's also like people have a hard time with sitting around if they're a bunch of guys, mm-hmm. like the kind of the culture we're in, like unless you're homo- homosexual, like it's just like sitting around with a bunch of guys talking about characters doing it like is is kind of uh, interesting it's uh, kind of weirdly taboo in yeah. our in our gamer culture and it's it like makes people really uncomfortable really fast oh yeah yeah for sure and um even though i'm not necessarily sure that there's like uh like a lot of you know mechanics for having sex in this game which i i don't think there are there are like a lot of qualities where it's like uh your character has like abs you know, you have like washboard abs, and then there's one. There's a there's a quality called like calves, which is like <laughs> you have really good calves. Nice. <laughs> and I mean, there it's it's just really interesting. A lot of people they come on and they're like, oh, it's like fatal, and it's like it's it, the thing is though, is that fatal is like so mean spirited and kind of intrinsically bigoted. Yeah. And this game is just like so fun and like light and airy and open and it's just I mean it's just like the antidote to just toxic bullshit. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I want to like. I wonder if he's done any interviews on this. I don't know. I, I think that would be really fascinating if we could like reach Man, out. We should try reach out to him and see get, if we could get an uh, interview with him. Well, let's do it. You know, I'm 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 a I'm a top fan. Right. Uh, he he designated. I don't know how you get that. If it's an algorithm, I, I or think if he you, does I think it. you like click enough times on his post that then he, <laughs> they they rise to the top, and then you can say these are our top fans. Oh so, wow! So. Well, I was selected as being a top fan. Okay. Well, um, reach out as a I'm, top fan I'm, and like. Be like, hey man, I want to talk about this game. Like, it, he he also has a really beautiful way of writing about depression that I think is interesting, and that's something that you know has been like my constant companion is like the black dog, and 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 uh, I mean I don't know. To me, this is just this is great. Schwab I think called it when he said it's probably the best role playing game this year. I think that this game will be nominated for an Emmy if it does not win an Emmy. I will be surprised. I will be doing whatever it is I can to see that this game wins an Emmy. Well, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's that's fantastic. And I, I also, you know, sometimes the the community is so insular about, and the everything has to be 
so I was I was reading through it earlier, and it, it feels like that game that somebody's maybe played a couple of games of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, maybe maybe played one or two small other games and decided, hey, I'm going to write a game. I don't need to know anything more about this. This is exactly what <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just going to write a game and it's going to be fun and I don't give a shit. Yeah, and we need more of that because like there's a little bit too much kind of up our own asses a little bit in a lot of these games. Dude, like, you know what? I agree 100%. There's like nothing wrong with like a new perspective or I mean, and just, just like a fresh view on it because there's certain ways that he obviously is approaching the genre from this kind of almost what we would call like an OSR standpoint because it's just like you can tell that he's influenced by like 80s D&D. For sure. Yeah. But then there's this big jump where then all of a sudden it's like now he's doing this and it's like and I, it's, it's it's refreshing. It's refreshing and cool and it's different and like uh, there's no other. There's I, I can say this. I can look look you in the eye, listener, and I can say there's no other game out there like this. If you are looking for something completely different and transformative, I recommend the Tingleverse. And I don't think that you have to play it like like ha 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 guys. There's gonna be ha ha. There's gonna be butt stuff. I think you can play this game. And just and just play it and it, as as it is written on the page. But that's just me. We'll see. Maybe you know what? Maybe I'll read it more and I'll like regret what I just said. And I'll be well, like, oh god, guys, oh it's, god. It's the five minute review. We'll, yeah, we'll, it is. You know, we'll uh, we'll probably. Re- I, I suspect you'll revisit it if because it, it's it 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 it's one of those things. It's like sitting there. Like yeah. I still want to be flipping through it. So I like, know it's hard <laughs> to put down. It's got so many great monsters in it. And apparently he's working on a monster manual for the oh, monsters that's that you meet in, in Billings, Montana. Like here are the stats for the mashed potato elemental, the, the not basketball. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. There's a, there's a reverse twin frozen lake. <laughs> I'm sure these are a lot of characters from his books. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. The shrieking mass humanoid. <laughs> Rad. I fucking love it. And the art's great. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of art, but the art that is in there is great. But he didn't make the sin of like packing pages to no end, like you know, trying to like shrink the text down. Oh like, yeah. Like there's no art on here, but it's a breathing page. You know, I can yeah. read it. If you, it's like it actually looks like the novels like those kind of like yeah. the like uh that sort of romance novel like the font is big uh, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a breathy page you're gonna you're gonna run right through this like it's definitely a weekend uh as as long as it, it's actually readable <laughs> it does it does read pretty quick and that and and that is what i would say probably one of the sins of the book is that it was made using amazon create space and that some of the um, kind of like RPG style editing wasn't done. So that like, for instance, you have like tables that are broken up across two pages, for instance. Ooh. Yeah, just stuff that you Ooh. wouldn't see. Yeah, yeah. He obviously like, like didn't, didn't know, you know. And the thing is, is, is Dr. Tangle, if you're listening, and I <laughs> doubt that you are, but if you are listening, you have friends in the role-playing industry. We will... We will help you with this stuff. A, sec- a second edition the- could look awesome. Yes, yes. We could really whip this thing into shape for second edition. Not that this is bad. No, it's, no. It's, it's I think it's I think it's great. 20, I think it's- <laughs> 22 bucks worth every penny. End of what I bought. All right, Richard, what have you been playing, my friend? Well, due to Project Wedding, I Project have Project Wedding. Project Wedding and its completion of its... Uh, long long journey uh including a saga where i designed rings and 3d printed them and then had them cast so uh i uh, i have not played anything other than looking at disciples and bonus shadow again and going oh yeah that's right my characters are almost dead we <laughs> <laughs> nice nice um I got to play it. Uh, mostly, I've just been playing Ravenous. I'm playing Ravenous like a fucking motherfucker. Uh, but I did yesterday, just yesterday, get the chance to play a game of D and D five. Like I didn't, I hadn't played D and D five in years. And a game club uh, member asked me if I would sit in on a game and help her like learn to run. And so you know. I'm never going to say no to that. I'm never right. going to say, I'm never going to be like, oh, I'm too busy to help you learn to role play. Like, I mean, this is, you know, I am the product of 
decades worth of other people helping me out and training me how to role play and I'm never gonna say no. So right. I totally yeah. went and played yeah. played uh some one of the first level adventures in Curse of Strahd and that was great. That book's fucking awesome. You played through it, right? Yeah, I played through all of uh, Curse of Strahd, and it was, um, I, there's a lot of really great stuff in there, but that Death House, the, I'm assuming you played Death House was the first. Uh, it's like the thing that you meet like right at the beginning. Yeah, Spoilers, a, if, you guys, if you guys haven't played uh, fucking Curse of Strahd over the last two years, then cover your ears. Like, get on that, because it's awesome. So, so and, what are your thoughts on Death House? Uh, I really like, I really liked it as an intro adventure to Ravenloft. Like it's a great, like it introduces you to the plot in, in a very subtle way. And it also wants to grind your character to bits. And did it, it? Did well, it grind your character to bits? Well, we, well, it's fifth edition. So this is, this is one of the like OSR complaints about fifth edition is you yeah. can't really care. It, killing character is really hard. I did lose one character in Ravenloft but we ran up against a really high level witch that we shouldn't have been even been talking to. So ah uh, yeah yeah because because the the book itself is very sandboxy. Right. It's you can go do whatever you want, but if you ignore warnings that don't look like warnings or not, they're like flashing lights and off in the distance, and there's like an empty city, and you just like walk past it, and then you meet uh your doom. Which interesting. So like, and you're told to go. There's two places to go do a thing. You're told to go find the find at least both these things. So yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, I'm gonna pick this path because right. that sounds more interesting than going the other path. And uh, yeah, no, I got lightning zatted for a lot of <laughs> a lot of points. Like, wow, and I failed my death saves and. My character died. Like, Interesting. Well, I mean, I, I well, I think it was one of those things where, like, if I was running, I would have totally had my character come back as an evil minion that would also be secretly helping the party because I've always wanted that to happen to one of my characters. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's that's kind of my like weird like post because po- it's happened to a couple of my characters where I, I died to a bag of devouring once. So like okay. failed a couple of uh, bad saves on there and got sucked into a, a alternate dimension of hell basically from a bag of devouring. So I was kind of hoping that he would come back, but that game ended before that. And mm. then like this uh, wizard, and then I I was like, well, I guess I'll make a cleric because there's no- we've been running Ravenloft without a cleric, and I was like. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. We did come up against that in the little one, the one shot that we did, where it was kind of like we had four players, and then you could tell that the, the we didn't make characters. The characters had been made by the people who were going to actually play the game, and we were like just running through it as like helping her kind of train up her GMing skills. Right, right. And um, fuck uh. There was an, there's a moment where you have to like pick a lock and there was no rogue. Like no one could no one could pick the oh, lock. Oh man. So we had the to lock kinda, door problem. Yeah, oh, we man. had to come up with a re- way to get into the in, into the the box, the locked box. And then there was a uh, uh kind of like I I kept clinching about healing. I was like, "Fuck, man. If we get if we have, if somebody has to heal something, we are so boned. We are so boned right now." Because we had like a warlock, and then I was a blood hunter, which I think is that like class that they made for Vin Diesel. Uh, something. It's either Vin Diesel or the Critical Role. It's it's one yeah. of those. It's one of those like yeah. extra classes. Okay, yeah, it's one of those, and and that seemed okay. It was fine. Um, anyway, so she did a great job. I had a good time. It was very chill. It was very. It reminded me of college role playing. It was like I was back in college. It was like it was. It's like I was this old ass bastard sitting in these like nice people's houses, surrounded by people who are like fifteen years younger than me or or more. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> still doing this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a good time with Curse of Strahd, and uh, and it definitely made me think like, why haven't I fucking run this? Why am I so down on D and D five? Anyway, but that's those are not practical. Well, and my my buddy my buddy made one good point, 
and he, and I wish I had known it before we were, when we were playing Curse of Strahd, is increase the death save difficulty to 15 in oh, Ravenloft. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference and actually means you could die. Where at ten, it's a kind of a it's Dude. it's not impossible, but it's impractical to yeah. get. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is, and that that would be my criticism, and that's not of her running style, that's of the game, and it was just like I just at no point did I really feel like oh shit we're fucked, which is kind of how you're supposed to feel when you're playing Ravenloft. And, I mean I'm not even just talking about the Ravenloft module, but like the campaign setting. Right, you're supposed yeah, yeah, to feel yeah. constantly like your back is against the wall. And this did not feel that way. Yeah, I think that's the that's the thing about it is you have to. Wh- the reason we always felt like against the wall is because we basically alienated every faction that could have been helping us. So when we got to the end, like there was basically just us against Strahd. So like, well, that's that, cool. I mean, yeah, that seems like it worked out. It it, it did mostly because we stumbled backwards into a couple of things. So ah, I see, I see. Like, I mean, I was. I mean, I know it's fifth, so there was this uh, scene where we were fighting some ghosts. And now, back in the day, this would have been just a terrifying encounter. Yeah, ghosts for uh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They had all kinds of very exotic, like, level-draining powers. They were completely immune to attacks, except very specific kinds, which you may or may not have access to. And if you're first level, you... Almost certainly no, do not. No, you're, you're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so we walk into this room, and she's like, she's like, I think she says like, five specters appear, and there's like four of us, and I was like, oh shit, this is where it all goes down. This is yeah. where we fucking turn to paste. And it was like, no, not really. Can't kick the shit out of them like pretty easily. Mm. Deal with us specters. Deal with us, you fucking specters. What? I can't remember what they're... I know that they're harder to hit, but I don't remember if they had, like, some kind of... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, it was was mostly because we had... We killed the monsters and we were low on hit points as we were running out through the gauntlet mm-hmm. at the end. Oh, interesting. So interesting. we were we were like the the gaunt the, basically there was a gauntlet on the way out that was right. trying to like slice you up and some people rolled poorly as they were getting through there. She was telling us about that. We uh, there's there's actually two ways to get out and we did the way that you don't have to run through the gauntlet. Oh so, well, so you're it, smarter than us. Okay. It just it right. just seemed very kind of like like it was like. There's almost this kind of moment at the end of the house where it goes like, "Thank you for, for for playing. Thank you for being in the haunted house. You may now exit through the turns dial." And we kind of did, and we were like, "Huh, all right, well." And then it was like, "You win," and I was, I was like, "Neat." <laughs> yeah, that that's not as cool as the gauntlet. The gauntlet is way cooler. Like yeah. doors, they're slicing in on you. Yeah, and like she told us about panels. this. It's she like, told us about this. I, I I think I hope that your your advice was don't give them any way of going the other way <laughs> well i just i mean to, because she explained to us well, based on what was in the module what the triggers were to get one ex, one one exit over the other and to me it just seems i mean i'm gonna sound like really condescending here but it seemed just so intuitive that like you're always gonna get out super easily yeah that uh that I was just like, wow, well, how will they ever encounter this gauntlet thing, which is obviously much cooler and more more interesting. Maybe she'll uh, listen to this before she has a chance to run it. Run the gauntlet thing. It's do, way cooler. Do that. Your friends will have more fun. Adversity is fun. That's a great lesson for the aspiring GM. They will complain about it endlessly. They but they'll say, talk. But they'll talk about it forever. Forever. They, they say they want a bunch of powerful, easy shit, but they don't. They just think they do. Everybody thinks they do, but then when they actually have to get fucking kicked in the teeth a little bit, they'll love it. And come back? That's, yeah. That's what real adversity... Overcoming adversity is the whole thing about Dungeons & Dragons and any yeah. other game. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So, hashtag and rant. All right, great. Well, um, we're dude, we're like at the almost at the end of the episode right now, so I guess we should do a... Ravenous Design Diary number two. Rad. All right, so uh, I guess that's what else I've been playing is I've been playing Ravenous. I I, uh, ran a session at your uh, excellent DM's happy hour at Maricopa Con. Had a great time. Um, I mean, I could probably sit here and talk for like half an hour while we've been doing with Ravenous because, uh, you know, Mark and I were talking 
and we definitely hit a design snag at the uh, in the beginning of August, and um, so we had to kind of work our way through that. But the latest draft where we kind of um, overcame that, and I was really thinking we were going to have like a bunch of time to talk about that, but you know, I guess hey, it is what it is. We'll talk about it as much as as, as we can. Um, Mark has this idea about what he calls holding environment of the game. And uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's his idea, first of all. And he hasn't really done a lot of writing or speaking on it. And he has been on podcasts and stuff. But, but essentially, it, I mean, it's kind of a new idea. It's kind of a new idea in role-playing, okay? And uh, it's an important development tool, and it's really helped me with Ravenous, and I think that it's one of the reasons why the current, like, iteration of um, Magpie Games is coming out, why their alt is so great, because he's very, like, much about, oh, it needs to meet this threshold, and um, when I talk about it to other people, when they when I try to explain it to other people, they always go, like, oh, well, it just sounds like you're talking about the setting, and I'm not talking about the setting. The setting and the holding environment are actually two different things, okay? So it's like you kind of have to imagine that the, 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 the holding environment is almost like a machine. Like what I kind of want, want people to imagine is like a pinball machine. This is how I think of it. And Mark, if you're listening and I'm wrong, fucking tell me because I, who, I'm just a fucking idiot. The holding environment is like a pinball machine, and if you pull out the little vinyl thing on the bottom that has all the illustration on it, you pull out all the little toys, it's just a machine with like a bunch of flappers and balls f- moving around, right? It's not Ghostbusters or right. Castle Crusade. It's just a machine that's moving. And so what he kind of insists upon as we're writing is that there is this kind of um, intuitiveness about playing the game. When the when you go through character creation and then you drop the characters, who in this metaphor are the pinball, into the environment, they need to react with the environment. And that has to come through this mechanical means. The, the, the players have to know what to do without you explaining to them what to do or without you creating some gnashing toothed monster that's like right behind them so they are compelled to act. And once I kind of took this idea of holding environment in, it just it just revealed to me why so many games I've run have failed because a lot of games that are currently on the market don't have a functioning holding environment, right? And then also as a GM, you can actually subvert the holding environment by trying to play against type, you know? If yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, well, we're going to play Shadowrun, but we're not going to play Runners, then it's like, fuck. Because that whole game, that game that game actually has a really tight holding environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you say, oh, well, we're not playing Runners, we're playing, you're playing Corpse. You're playing like Corp Execs. People will be like, oh. That's a different game entirely. Yeah, what do I do? Like, what do I do? And that doesn't have anything to do with the setting. That has everything to do with, like, the incentives in the game, right? So um, what was happening was is that we were running Ravenous, and we would go through the character creation. The character creation worked out all right. We've fixed it since then. It's better now. It's, it's actually, I, think, I feel like it's really good now. I feel like it's really good. It's like To me, it's like a very rewarding experience. And then we'd sit down to play, and people would go like, "Nah, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna stand here." And then I literally would have people—I have people who were declaring their actions as just standing there. They wouldn't—they they, like—they wouldn't do anything. Mm. And so we had to fix that. And yeah, the, yeah. And, and the problem was the holding environment. And so what we did was—is—is is, uh, the first thing I did is I stripped away a bunch of power from the player characters, so the characters have a kind of like a resource acquisition motive like immediately. Right. Um, and then I, uh, made it so that they are introduced into a new environment and that they don't understand the environment around them. So not only do they have nothing, but they don't really understand where they are. So it, now it is 
when we do session one, and I've done session one under this new, this new kind of like outlook a couple of times, and now people just get it. Now people get it. You just drop them down, and literally I can say like, okay, so you know we raise the curtain, and your character is stepping off of a, 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 a what do you call it? like a river ferry uh, onto dry land, and it's night. What do you do? And they just know. They're just like, okay, well, here's what we got to go do. And then they go do it. Whereas before, like, literally, I was introducing all these, like, all these moving parts into the scene, and they still wouldn't do anything. They still were just, people were just standing there. They were, like, petrified. They didn't want to move. So, um, so thank fucking God we fixed it. Uh, I feel like Mark is excited about the game. He is going to be coming out to, uh, Rincon in Tucson which is at the beginning of October. So I was talking earlier about Gauntlet Con, which is at the end of October and is online. It takes place in the virtual space. So if you want to interact with Ravenous in the virtual space, Gauntlet Con. If you want to come play Ravenous with me and slash or Mark Diaz Truman, come to RinCon, the beginning of October in Tucson, because we'll both be down there. And I'm going to be running for him the game. And uh, at that point, we're going to start talking about next steps to getting Ravenous into actual physical published form. Hot damn. Oh, I know. Heady times, man. Crazy. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think I think that holding, the holding environment yeah. is, it's like the hierarchy of needs like if you if you don't have any like plot motivation already you need you need you're giving them a hierarchy like i gotta survive first of all so i gotta find where i'm gonna be and and then you you're almost everyone's been a tourist somewhere right or moved Mm -hmm. somewhere Mm -hmm. so they were like okay first i gotta find some place to be then i gotta find some food then i gotta find out what's going on and that Mm -hmm. and and that mode you're putting them in i think that's a fantastic uh, way to start so that's well it also just makes it very unique as a vampire game because uh one of the criticisms i sent out some uh like alpha test packs and one of the criticisms i got back from a uk play group was that it felt very masquerade mm. and i was like i was like i see where you're coming from like uh i mean it would be bullshit to say that masquerade hasn't influenced to a greater extent my thinking on vampire role-playing i mean there's no doubt that it has there's also an element of like, well, we were both, you know, both Masquerade and Ravenous are kind of drinking from the same well, which was like the f- the fictional vampire. And so when I encountered this problem, I was like, well, how do I dis- differentiate the game by getting back to the core fiction, which is really what PBTA games are about, is yeah, like yeah. emulating a certain kind of fiction. And it just struck me that... Um, one of the things you don't really see in any vampire game that's currently out is uh, something that's baked into almost every vampire novel slash movie you've ever seen, which is the idea of the vampire saga as a, as, as a little bit of a travel log, mm, right? Yep. Like uh-huh. the characters, oh, yeah. they move like by, but from decade to decade, they move from city to city and they have these little flashbacks and adventures. And now the game is, that's like baked into the mechanic of the game. It's like moving from city to city and like exploring a city over the course of an epoch. And then um, just like in in like these movies that you've seen, right when you think you've got everything going well, then the city falls apart and you've got to fucking flee. You got to go somewhere else and you got to start this whole fucking thing all over again. And it kind of gives the, um, the game it, itself this sort of sweeping narrative oh, that's, you know what i'm saying yeah that sounds really rad and i'm i'm excited to to hear more and eventually play again and, oh uh, <laughs> yeah man we gotta get you at the table because i mean I, i'm i'm always telling everybody the best piece of advice i ever got about ravenous was from richard newby because he was the guy who took who took my literal first draft and was like this is cool but unplayable <laughs> who, who you see he said why would anybody ever play this and it's like that 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 in and of itself has to be one of the best pieces of game writing advice I've ever heard, which is you have to think to yourself, why would anybody play this? 
I, I often, when I'm reading new games, I'm like, what? And, and that's probably why I don't see some of these games ever played. It's like, yeah. oh, this is fantastic art. This is, it's like, well, why would I play this? But also, uh, I still think that the, the, functional fam- the, the dysfunctional family game needs to happen at some point. Oh, it's still in there. Oh, it's still, it's still in, in there. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. What, what's yeah. kind of interesting about writing a PBTA game is that it's kind of like you're building a clock. Do you like my metaphors? Yeah, yeah, good there, clocks. Yeah. <laughs> there's good. all there's all these cogs that have different sizes, and they all have to work in time with each other. And if they if you if you're if you're short on cogs, the thing doesn't fucking work. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But or if they're at the wrong size, then it doesn't work. And this is the thing about writing PBTA, and I think a lot of people look at PBTA and they're like, oh, it's fucking game design for people who don't like designing games because there's really only one role. But it's like, in a D&D game, you can sit down and you can write the combat system. The combat system is different than the how I use skills system. You right. know? So yeah, you can yeah. write those two things independently of one another. But in a PBTA game, you are literally working on everything at the same time. At the exact same time, it's incredibly daunting, and yeah, it, yeah. it can be very frustrating. So, but it's also glorious when it starts coming together. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think we've had uh, a great time here tonight, Brendan. Right? I have. I know I have, Richie Buzzkill. So Adam missed the fuck out. Yeah, he did, and and he'll be kicking himself. Uh, I'm sure, as he is wont to do. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, true. Um, oh, Adam, we love you. We miss you, buddy. Come back to us. Yeah, return to us, Adam. Um, and so I'd like to thank our sponsors, or sponsor, uh, actually sponsors. Fuck that sponsors. We got Exalted Funeral. Uh, go check out Exalted Funeral. They got everything you need. In oh, the buddy. interesting role playing, exoteric uh, texts and metal, like interesting stuff. You got to go to uh, Exalted Funeral. Do it. And then our patrons, our long suffering, oh hardcore friends till the end, uh, please uh, get on our uh, Discord. I, yeah, I know, yeah, join our fucking Discord. Because uh, go to. Go to uh, tinyurl.com slash fullmetaldiscord and you can get right in to be invited. And then say you're, come at us with, we're, I'm a patron and we'll start adding you to the patron channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, come at us and we're going to do some interesting stuff. It's just, it's one of those things where we got Ravenous going on. I had Project Wedding going on. Adam has Project, uh, yeah. And then. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so please, those those are our sponsors. Yeah, and, and we love the patrons. And, and yes, we got we had the uh, Jericho Kane miniatures. Yes, come at me with some new ideas because I got a three D printer and I'm willing to use it. Like if you got a, a, an idea, like come at me. And so, and, like, and seriously, come on the fucking Discord and be like and like introduce yourselves to us because it's like Discord's cool and it lets you have the kind of like this like weird name and weird identity. But people at this point, the Discord invite is up and there's like people coming on who have strange names and i don't know who they are and so if you want to come on and be like yo i listen to your show i'm so and so from wichita it's cool man we love that we want to interact with you bro sounds great you know we're some people are always saying like nobody nobody listens to this show prove us wrong like come at us (laughs) like like you know this this is our uh we love this, and we love doing the show. We love role-playing games. We love sharing the, the wealth. Uh, please come at us. And that's that's our sponsors. Yes. And and if you want to get at us, maybe Discord's not your thing. Sure. C- come at us at fullmetalrpgofficial at gmail.com. Yeah. The, uh, come at us at, full metal, at fullmetalrpg. On Instagram. On Instagram. Come at me at Richie Buzzkill on Instagram. On IG. And... Uh, Carrying calling calling card on Instagram on Instagram that's me and full at Full Metal RPG it's both him so uh, <laughs> um, I have a lot of IGs uh, as always fuck Twitter fuck Twitter uh, go come to our Facebook page facebook.com slash Full Metal RPG uh, and and interact with us there um, 
And uh, I think that's all all we have. For I, the I, night. I do have some kind of like uh, cryptic uh, uh, ravenous pages. Um, uh, ravenous at ravenous horror on Instagram is uh, the ravenous the ravenous feed, and I don't update it like a crazy amount, but it's a little bit more curated. And then um, you can find uh, Ravenous Horror Role Playing on Facebook also. So if you want to be involved in Ravenous, if you like getting updates on it, if you want to be involved in playtesting at all, I am very liberal with who I send that document to. So please just come at me, get at me. I, because seriously, I want to know, know what you think of the game. And if you're the kind of person who likes to introduce new games to your friends, if you're the kind of person who likes to run, if you're the kind of person who likes to be on the bleeding edge of something, then please. Literally bleeding? Literally a sopping wet pile of gore. Yep. All right. Well, Richie, dude, this is a fucking rad show. Thank you for coming out tonight, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you to all our listeners. Have a great night. Yeah. Raw. <laughs>